kind of uh, encapsulate what we're going to be talking about this morning is that we saw a thirsty man and he had this glass that was half full of this powder or sand or whatever he was drinking there. And yet no matter how much he tried to drink it, he found out that it wasn't satisfying at all. And that's what we're going to be talking to or talking about this morning. And it sets up our message for today. You are what you eat. And our scripture today will be taken from John chapter 6. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And I want to start out by telling you about a documentary that came out in 2004 called Super Size Me. And the person doing this documentary was a man named Morgan Spurlock. And he decided that he was going to do an experiment. And this experiment dealt with him eating only food from McDonald's for all three meals for an entire month. And to see um, how he would react to that. And so what they found is that during um, this documentary, he ate everything only on McDonald's menu, and that they calculated it out and found that his average caloric intake was a little over 5,000 calories a day. Now, to put that into a little bit of perspective, the U.S. recommended daily allowance for people eating is about 2,500 calories per day. So he's eating twice as many calories as he was supposed to during this time. So what were the results of this? Well, the results of this is that he gained 24 pounds in 30 days. His cholesterol increased from um, the beginning of it. He was at 150. After this 30 days, he was at 230, which is borderline very high. He was diagnosed with fatty liver disease and liver dysfunction. They found that his personality even changed, that he had severe mood swings and wasn't even to get involved with marital relations with his wife because it was affecting him physically so bad. He was briefly hospitalized with chest pain and palpitations, and the doctors said, hey, you have to stop this experiment. You know, he's 21 days in, and they said, you know, it's killing you, literally killing you to eat like this, and he he wouldn't do it, and he kind of gutted through it, and, and completed the 30 days. And when they released all the results of this documentary, McDonald's discontinued its supersized option. You remember that supersized option at McDonald's? You could walk in and they, and, or walk in or drive through and they would say, would you like to supersize that? And you get bigger fries and a bigger soda and all that. Well, they stopped that after this documentary is released and improved its menu options, including even the caloric amounts of each menu item right on the menu. You notice that if you go into a McDonald's now, calories are right next to whatever you're ordering. I know it helps me not to order the super or the gigantic sandwiches and stuff. But there is a truth that we can find in Mr. Spurlock's experiment that applies to our Christian lives. And it would be best described kind of in computer programming terms. And that is garbage in, garbage out. In high school, it was one of my computer teacher's favorite sayings, which meant that if you input bad programming, you're going to get a bad result out the other side of it. Your program is just not going to work the way that you're trying to program it to to work. So what does this have to do with our faith and especially our devotional and our prayer life? Simply put, it is the law of sowing and reaping. The Bible says, whoever sows to please your flesh, from the flesh they will reap destruction. 
Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, they'll reap eternal life. So garbage in, garbage out, or, in essence, you are what you eat. You will become what you consume. And the reason that most Christians never mature or are very worldly in their mindset is because they've allowed too much garbage into their minds and spirits. And because of that, they live according to what is going to please their worldly minds and their sinful nature. Instead, that which is going to please God. And the focus of this world is, that, is to do everything that is against God's kingdom, isn't it? And that's what Jesus is talking about in, the pas- in this passage of John. He starts out in the beginning of this chapter by feeding 5,000 people. And these people are so amazed by this miracle. And they look at him as this is the Messiah. This is the person that has come to to bring us into the fullness of what God has for us. And they're so amazed by this miracle that Jesus did feeding their physical bodies that they want to force him right now, drag him off to Jerusalem and make him the king. They completely missed the spiritual significance of what he was trying to show them by feeding them, that he is the bread of life, that he is the source of all nourishment for them. And it isn't it interesting that during this very highly political season that we're in right now, that history kind of repeats itself. That people, even Christians, have a tendency to focus on what a person on, the screen, on these television screens can do for them instead of looking at the heart of the person like the Bible commands us to do so. What does the Bible say about that? God does not look at the outward appearance, but looks upon the heart of the person. Instead, we just listen to the promises, promises that we think will bring us health and safety. I'm going to secure the borders. After all, it's those Latinos that are causing all the problems. I'm going to get ISIS. It's, it's the Arabs and Muslims that are causing the evil in the world. I'm going, to make a great, I'm going to make America great again because everybody else is evil. I'm going to sock it to the Chinese. I'm going to sock it to the Taiwanese. I'm going to get the, Jap- the Japanese. I'm going to get all these people. I'm going to put them under America's feet, and America's going to be great again. Let's just all stand up and sing the Star Spangled Banner. And promise after promise is given. Bold, brash, arrogant statements are made. And we kind of just have a tendency to jump right into that. Because this candidate appeals to our need for security, or our need for safety, or pride, or patriotism. They, they appeal to all these fleshly things. And all the while, we ignore the glaring character faults that are within many of these men and women. Even pastors who should know better, men and women who should know better, will run after these people to get on TV and even publicly use God's pulpit to endorse men and women who are so anti-Christian that it just, and obvious, it just makes me sick sometimes. And I point this out to you just to show you that humanity really hasn't changed much since Jesus' time. Because spiritually, that's where these people were at. By feeding them, Jesus unintentionally appealed to their fleshly desire for a physical king. And in their, mild, their, in their minds, that he is this Messiah sent from God. A Messiah that would do many things that they would think that they were promised. 
that he's going to kick these evil Romans out of Israel. He's going to put two chickens in every pot. He's going to put bread on the table. He's going to make Israel great again. That was their vision of this Messiah. But in reality, they didn't want Jesus. Think about that. They didn't really want Jesus. They just wanted what he promised them. They weren't looking at the man. They were looking only at the promises. And that's why Jesus stops them for a minute, has them sit down, and goes through some pretty hardcore teaching here. These words that we're going to read here are considered some of the toughest of all teachings of Jesus. And they're found in John chapter 6, starting in verse 48. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is a bread that comes from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And then the Jews begin to argue sharply amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for even the hard teachings of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you show us the way to live in a victorious state before you. That you show us the way to tap into the very power that Jesus had. The very way to walk before you in victory in this world. Help us to mind the depths of this scripture. Not only just to get an intellectual understanding, but to have a spiritual revelation within ourselves. So that we can live as Jesus lived and have the same kind of impact that he had on the world. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're living in the last days. Amen? Amen. And since we're living in the last days, we have to be more attuned to the Spirit of God than in any other time in history. Because we have this incredible onslaught of worldliness that is coming against us. And that's why I wanted to spend the first part of this year focused on prayer, focused on the Word, focused on fasting, to set a foundation for victory for us this year. The Apostle Paul prophesied about the days we're living in today when he said, mark this, there will be terrible times in these last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, 
conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Paul is describing a people who give a lip service to God, but God is found nowhere in their hearts and nowhere in their lives. We are what we eat. This truth pertains not only to our physical bodies, but even more so to our spiritual bodies, which is really who we are. We have to remember that even though we live in these bodies, even though we do our best to to take care of this flesh and take care of this body, we are spiritual beings having a fleshly experience right now. And it's our, our spiritual side that we need to be mostly concerned about. Because if these conditions that we just read really exist, and I, th- I don't think anybody could argue that today they really exist, it is because we have this spiritual anorexia within the church. And that's what I want to address first this morning, is the spiritual anorexia. The Old Testament prophet Amos had some words that applied to both the world that he lived in at the time, and it's almost like he looked forward into the future to the uh, world that we live in today. He said that the days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine throughout the land. It won't be a famine of, of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Notice what Amos says here. He said that there is a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. Not that the word of the Lord wasn't being taught. Not that there were no prophets in the land. Not that there weren't men and women of God preaching the word of God, but that people were too distracted to hear it. There was something causing them to not be able to hear the word of God. Consider for a moment, how many people here have a TV? About everybody here has a TV. How many people have it hooked up to a satellite dish, cable, something like that? Most of us. Yeah, if if you have some type of multi-channel device bringing hundreds of channels into your house, On our direct TV, we have three to eight channels of 24-7 Christian programming. We might question some of the teaching on some of those programs, but regardless, it is there. We have 24-7 access to Christian programming. Our local radio right here in Whitehall has at least three different channels devoted to Christian programming, and I haven't heard any bad teaching on it yet. Very, very good teaching on it. If you have a computer or you have a smartphone, You have access to solid biblical teaching. You have access to every Bible version in any language, including the original languages that exist right now. You even have tutorials on how to read Hebrew and Greek if you want to learn to read them. There are reading plans out there to help you understand the Bible better. There are Thousands, if not millions, of sermons out there about the Bible. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of commentaries about the Bible. In other words, we all right now have access to the same references that if you were to go to an Ivy League level theology school, you have it for free right here. 
on a computer, or on your TV, on your radio, you have access to those same books that they are reading. They're going to spend $120,000 to get a bachelor's degree in theology at Harvard, and you have it for free if you just want to access it on the internet. What does all that mean? It means that Christians, particularly American Christians, are starving to death while living in the middle of the biggest and most fully stocked spiritual food store in history. No other people that have ever existed have the same amount of stuff available to them to help them grow in their spiritual walk as we do today. But the enemy has so distracted us through all these other things that we just can't hear God anymore. And I'm talking about the American Christian, not necessarily about you and me, but if it fits you, then listen. It's because we have this rock concert of worldly garbage flooding our hearts and minds to the point where it drowns out our ability to really hear from God. And how can I say this? Why am I being so hard on American Christianity and, and hard on Christians in this country? Because the surveys and polls still tell us that Christianity is a dominant religion in this country. Roughly 75 to 80% of people respond and say that they are Christians in this country. And yet, according to the TV company Nielsen, the average American spends between five and a half to six hours per day in front of a TV. That's at least 38.5 to 42 hours a week in front of the TV. They then will turn around and give one week to or one hour a week to church, and wondering why they are stagnant in their faith, wondering why God isn't moving in their lives, wondering where this reality of Jesus is, and why they're not experiencing it. And we wonder why during this political season that so many in the church are willing to follow people who are obviously not even remotely trying to follow God, much less live lives pleasing to Jesus. we got to remember that there are certain spiritual laws in the Bible. And one of the ones that God cannot nor will not violate is the law that says whatever a man sows, that he will reap. You will sow what you reap. And it's not just a spiritual law that affects the world as a whole, but it affects us as individuals as well. As it was said earlier, you are what you eat, or garbage in, or garbage out. And if we allow the allure of this world to captivate us, the things of God grow dimmer. We only have so much within our spiritual tank that if you crowd it out with the things of this world, you won't have any room left for God. And if we allow the siren song of the enemy to fill our ears, we shouldn't be surprised when we can't hear God's voice. And God's voice is absent. Well, we can pick up this book and read it and it doesn't speak to us. We can't be surprised because we're devoting our time to the wrong thing. And that's why teaching, Jesus' is teaching right here in John is so revolutionary. And it was completely misunderstood by those he was speaking to. I mean, on the fleshly level, what he said here amounts to cannibalism. So they naturally reacted strongly against it. They're like, what are you, crazy? But that's not what he was speaking to. What Jesus was speaking to is even greater than that. 
This isn't just a religious ritual that we call communion now in or, that we perform in an effort to score points with God. It's an incredible truth that second to salvation is the greatest gift that God ever gave to us. You see, Jesus doesn't just save you from your sin. Jesus doesn't just guarantee you a place in heaven. Jesus is offering here to come and live within us, to be our utter and complete source for everything that we have in life. And when we discover that, when we accept it for ourselves, and when we really try to live like that, we learn to live in complete dependency upon him. That's why Jesus refers back to the Old Testament, to the story of the manna. Manna was the bread that God supernaturally gave the Israelites during their time in the desert. Jesus was saying that just as God provided Israel's physical food in the desert, I am providing your food for you. And that food is me. I am your sustenance. Listen, my friends, God never designed humanity. And he never designed you to live apart from him. That was not part of his creation. When God breathed into humanity the breath of life, it was God breathing part of himself into us so that we would always have that kind of connection with him. And all of our addictions, all of our sins, all of our dysfunction, all the hurt and pain that, we, that are in our lives can be linked to us trying to connect to the wrong power source. If you think about it, if you go over to Europe and try to plug your hairdryer in, what happens to that hairdryer? It's going to blow up because the power source over there is multiplied more than what it is here in the U.S. So you have to buy special adapters to be able to use that power. When we try to plug into the wrong thing in our spiritual life, what happens? We blow up. It's the same principle. Isaiah described it this way. And we kind of saw a humorous um, example of that in that video. When he said, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on that which is not bread, and your labor on that which does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me. And when you see something in the Bible that repeats itself, pay really close attention to that. Listen. Listen to me. Eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me and hear me that your soul might live. My friends, it's critical during this time in history that we make sure that we are intimately Connected with God. God has shown me throughout my entire 23 years of following him that the days of coasting across the finish line are over. You are either running after God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or you're going to backslide. It's like the, you're on this kind of a, a level um, in years past, now the level is here, and it's iced. The world is like iced, the, the path to heaven. And you're just going to slide backward if you start, stop your pursuit of God. 
It's not going to work. You're going to have to strain for it. You're going to have to work for it. And you're going to have to be more and more and more dependent upon Jesus now than any other time in history. And I know most of us just want this easy life. We want lives free of conflict. We want lives free of hardship. We want lives free of even having to go to work every morning. I know. I, I, I yearn for that too. But so do all who see such days. But that's not the time that God has called us to. He's called us to live in this time. And if you want to survive and thrive during this period in history, we need to extricate ourselves from the love of the world. That's why we as a church do things like scheduled fasting and prayer. I don't get marching orders from the district. I seek God and say, God, what do you want to do with this church? And I know that the things that he wants to do with this church are only going to come through fasting and prayer. And that's why I had such a radical challenge to sacrifice in reading the Word of God so intensely this month. And I understand it was a hardship. It was a hardship for me, waking up at 4 in the morning before I had to go to work and reading 10 10 or 12 chapters of the Bible. It was hard for me, and I love reading the Word of God. That's why I called Ron up here yesterday to instill within us that passion to seek God. Because spiritually, you are what you eat. We become what we focus on. Jennifer and Tammy, if you could come back up. And most importantly, that is why our Lord Jesus used such a radical example here. That we are to feed on him. We are to feed on his words found in the scripture, the logos, the word of God. We are to listen for his voice speaking to us during our prayer time, the rhema word of God. And then we will learn what it is to know the Lord. And then we will stand in awe of him again. Amen.